It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition, brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company specializing in nutritional information. And we think this nutritional information is going to make positive changes in your health. And I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist. I'm really happy to have you listening today. And I think we've got a great show planned. You know, joining us by phone in just a few minutes is going to be Sally Fallon, and Sally is the author of the most interesting and fascinating cookbook you've ever picked up, and it's called Nourishing Traditions. But before Sally joins us, I'm pleased to welcome one of Sally's biggest fans, <laughs> Barb Redison, as our co-host today. And it's great, Barb. We don't get a chance to work together very often, but we're going to have a great time today. I am so glad to be here and honored that you would include me. Oh, come on, come on. You started us. (laughs) (laughs) It is a pleasure to have this opportunity to visit with Sally and tell her personally how much her work has influenced my life and my health, and also, actually, the content of the classes at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Every teacher, every nutritionist and staff member has their favorite recipes from Nourishing Traditions. They do, absolutely. So... Let's welcome Sally Fallon, author of Nourishing Traditions. You know, Sally? Yes, I'm here. Great. Oh, everything connects. We love it when it does that. (laughs) So welcome to our show. We're so pleased to have you today. Oh, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. So kind of give our listeners a little bit about your cookbook and how you got involved in traditional foods. (laughs) And even, hey, you know, even what that means. What does it mean by... What does traditional foods mean? We, well, a lot of people don't know that, especially if they're going and picking up a Diet Coke and a bag of chips for lunch. Right. <laughs> well, in a nutshell, um, the work that I'm doing is uh, the main thrust is to counteract the propaganda coming out of government and industry and uh, various medical organizations telling us that we should be on low-fat diets, that animal fats are bad, cholesterol is bad. And what this actually does is push people into junk food because they can't really see the fats in junk food. And, uh, you know, they try to be good on a low-fat diet, but then they are so craving for fats, they binge and splurge on the worst kinds of fats in junk food. So we've been a voice for going back to um, the traditional fats like butter, cream, lard, egg yolks, meat fats. We've been a voice for avoiding the industrial fats and oils, the you know cooking oils and the um, partially hydrogenated vegetable oils. We've been a voice for going back to old-fashioned cooking, getting your flavor and the deliciousness of your food from bone broth and real, you know, real herbs and spices rather than all the fake flavors that are in the modern processed foods. So when we say traditional, we mean the way probably your great-great-grandmother ate (laughs) when we're talking about America. You know, Sally, when I opened my cookbook as I was kind of getting the show ready, 
Um, here is a thing that was in my, it was when you spoke at St. Cloud on March 24th, 2001. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still, it's got where my favorite recipe is. I use it as a, a place marker. So I thought, well, that brought us back because we had a whole caravan of people going up to St. Cloud from Minneapolis and St. Paul to hear you speak. And Barb was leading the charge. Well, that, that's Sally. That. Well, I've been to I've been to Minnesota several times, as you know. I'm coming back in a couple of weeks. Um, but for me, the the thing that keeps me going, you know, sometimes I say, "Why am I doing this? You know, I work so hard." At it. <laughs> but it is the response of people, the renaissance in small farming that has occurred as people have demanded foods from pasture-based animals. That's one of our big themes. And also the beautiful crop of uh, healthy babies that have come along as young women have listened uh, to our message and had the courage, had the courage and the willpower to prepare for their babies, eating properly, eat properly during pregnancy and, uh, and lactation and feed their babies properly as they're growing. And these are our leaders of the future. These will be the um, the healthy people in the future that can carry on our civilization. And how how appropriate, Sally, on Mother's Day weekend. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so your cookbook is over 650 pages of recipes, but I have always said, and I've heard from several uh-huh. nationally known nutritionists who say that it's one of the best nutrition books that they've you know, ever run across. Well, so, we worked really hard on the first section, myself and my co-author, Mary Ennig, to just give accurate information about fats and oils, about carbohydrates, about protein. Um, yeah, uh, we we just felt that there was so much misinformation that needed to be counteracted. And uh, we don't have any ties with the industry. Uh, we don't have any, get any grants from, you know, big industry or the government so we can tell the truth. And I, I actually feel sorry for the nutritionists and the medical people who've kind of gotten in this trap of being beholden to the food industry for their their grants and their financing. Yeah, it's really difficult for them to get out of that it, it once really they jump is. into and it. And, you know, it's hard to find work outside of the system. A lot of people do, but you have to kind of forge your own way. Right. And And I think once you start eating real foods... You develop the motivation or the power to be able to step outside that box, and it's hard when you're eating the processed foods to even get there. Well, they give you more energy. They make your brain work better. Right. They, uh, you you really, it's hard to go back. Um, Now, a lot of people are addicted to certain foods, and you know, we we want to support you as much as possible. This diet can help with those addictions, but things don't happen overnight either. Sally, can you tell us a little bit more about? Uh, Dr. Mary Ennig, who was co-author of the book? Yes. Dr. Ennig is a lipid scientist. She's a Ph.D. in nutrition with an emphasis on lipids. That's fats. And she was the first scientist to publicly warn the public about the dangers of trans fats. She had done her Ph.D. thesis on trans fats and showed how they interfere with a really crucial enzyme system in the body, one that's involved in protecting us from cancer and also making hormones. And uh, she published a little article in 1978, you know, saying that it's not the saturated fats that are causing heart disease, it's the trans fats. We need to look into this more. And because of this, she was actually blackballed. The industry is so powerful, they were able to prevent her from ever getting any grants or doing any research. 
so she was sort of working on her own, and so was I, you know, sort of plodding away on the cookbook and realizing I, I needed help. I don't have a scientific background, and I read an article about her and contacted her right away, and that led to this wonderful collaboration that we've had over the years. Not only in the cookbook, we we wrote a uh, weight loss book together called Eat Fat, Lose Fat, and we... Um, uh, we've done a lot of articles together. And then jointly, she and I set up the Weston A. Price Foundation, which is the nonprofit nutrition education foundation that um, keeps people up to date on everything that's going on in the field of nutrition. You know, Sally, I have to tell you about the first time I met you. <laughs> it was way back in 1997, and I actually sat across from you and Mary Ennick at one of those country western dinner parties in New Mexico. And I recognized Dr. Mary Ennig because I attended her lecture about health, that people need healthy fats to make bones. And it was new information to me, and it was fascinating. But I have to tell you, honestly, I didn't know who Sally Fallon was. Yeah. <laughs> but when I got back here, it didn't take me very long before I realized how, pop- how popular you really are. And because Barb had already, I think, become one of your groupies at that point or soon after. Uh, that's funny because um, <clears throat> the book came out in 1996. Okay, see, so and Barb was right on it. We didn't have many <laughs> many fans at that point. But I'm interested you said New Mexico. Are you sure it was New Mexico? Well, I think it was at the uh, American College of Nutrition uh, Conference, and I thought it was in New Mexico. I thought it was in Albuquerque. I thought I was. that's where I have it in my mind. Maybe it was in San Francisco, but... Wherever it was, I remember that and um, and how I was just, like, fascinating with uh, the fact that we need good fats to make our bones. Yes. And yes. that has, and I've said that uh, probably a thousand times to people when they're trying to get over having osteoporosis yeah, and yeah. direct them to eating healthy fats versus no you know, fats. We think of vitamin D for healthy bones, and we definitely need vitamin D for healthy bones. But we also need vitamin A, which is, comes as a surprise to people. And uh, we also need saturated fat. Saturated fat helps the body put calcium into the bones. And we need vitamin K. Uh, all of these things are in butter fat from grass-fed animals. So nature doesn't make mistakes by putting fat in the milk. And if you're drinking low-fat milk and skim milk, that calcium is pretty much going to waste or being put in the wrong place, like the arteries and the joints. Sally, we need to take a break right now. So I want you all to know that you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. At Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we teach people to eat real food instead of man-made foods for healing and for physical and mental well-being. Often, this is a new concept for many people, even for many other healthcare professionals. For example, an energy bar often gives you just calories compared with an egg from a grass-fed chicken that gives you mental, physical energy today and tomorrow. So stay tuned for more of Sally Fallon's wisdom. And because we would like to hear as much of Sally's wealth of information as possible, we will not be taking phone calls this morning. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you want to learn more about eating for energy and well-being, a great place to start is to sign up for our weight and wellness series. And we have both daytime and evening times available. And I'm really proud to say that we have teachers that walk the talk. And they have a driving passion to teach you how to eat real food. And we have classes in Andover. We have classes in Lakeville, Edina, Maple Grove, Chanhassen, St. Paul, Wyzetta, White Bear Lake, and did I say Cambridge? So all over. So it's 
you know, real food. It gives you healing, it gives you energy, and it gives you a healthy metabolism. And that's what real foods really do. So go to weightandwellness.com or call us at 651-699-3438. So Sally, Dishing Up Nutrition, our radio show here, has listeners all over the United States. And I know that you speak in a number of cities around around the United States. Where would they find out more about that or more about this, the Weston A. Price Foundation, which I know you are such a uh, leader in and and uh, really having a lot to do with changing the way people are eating today? Well, the best place to, to find out where the events are is to go to WestonAPrice.org, WestonAPrice.org. And if you click on Get Involved, you'll find the calendar section, which lists not only my speaking engagements, but speaking enga- but um, meetings and talks and presentations by our local chapters. So it's likely you'll find something near you uh, within a few months of today. Uh, specifically, though, I will be in Minnesota on the 22nd of May. I'm speaking at the... Uh, Minis- uh, let's see, the Minnesota Chiropractors Association. And I'm just looking for the contact there. Um, well, I we have that here. Let's okay. see. It's, uh, yes, yes, where is it? <laughs> yeah. And anyway, it's, it's, it's minchiro.com. Yeah, minchiro.com. Yeah. Minchiro.com. Okay, there you go. There you go. And what I will be doing, it's a morning talk all morning long. I will be doing... My seminar, which is called Nourishing Traditional Diets, the Key to Vibrant Health. We'll be talking about the work of Weston Price, whom the Weston A. Price Foundation is named after, his studies of healthy traditional people and what he discovered about their diets. <clears throat> we'll be talking about fats and oils. We'll talk, talk about food preparation. And uh, it only avoid, costs $25. Pardon me? And it only costs $25. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, for four hours of wonderful information. Yeah. So it's it's the principles of healthy diets, and also we get uh, practical, too, how to prepare your food. Okay, so let's prep them a little bit on, on the science and what's going on with the fats. I know trans fats are have been um, more in the public eye lately, and can you explain perhaps how, how, do, they, how do they create trans, trans fats? fats? How are okay. they created? Well, they start with the liquid oils, and, and let me start with the liquid oils. Uh, these are what you call the seed oils. They're pressed out of corn and soybeans and uh, safflower and so forth. And these oils, to begin with, are very dangerous. They're rancid. They're full of free radicals that cause uncontrolled reactions in the body and lead to cancer and heart disease. Uh, they need a solid fat for cookies and crackers and frying. They need something more stable than these oils, and they put them through a process called partial hydrogenation, which rearranges the molecule, causes the molecule to straighten out, and creates a molecule that we don't find in food that it's called a trans fat. And these molecules inhibit reactions in the body. They mess up enzymes. They mess up receptors. And uh, finally, uh, Mary Ennig's uh, warnings have uh, seen the light, and we had a government, government committee say that trans fats are unhealthy at any level, mm-hmm. at any level. And so the industry has been scrambling to get them out of the food, and it, this has given them a big dilemma because if they go back to the liquid oils, these are just as bad for you. 
uh, just as uh, likely to cause cancer and heart disease. So you're saying basically that, uh, Sally, that if the people use corn oil or soybean oil in their products, that that is just as bad as using something that has been partially hydrogenated. Exactly. And, and what the industry has done is kind of sneak the trans fats in in ways that don't end up on the label. Okay. However they, okay, tell us more about that. That's okay. what we really want to know. Okay. So they use more mono and diglycerides. And mono and diglycerides are actually fats. Uh, they're just not triglycerides. They just have one or two fat molecules uh, in the uh, uh, glyceride. And um, they are always partially hydrogenated, and they do not have to be labeled as fats. Oh, okay. So they don't. So these trans fats don't end up on the label. The other thing they do is is um, deodorize the liquid oils, and that's a process that creates a certain amount of trans fats, and those don't have to be on the label. So they're sneaking in there, even though um, you know they're not in the label. Now the obvious thing to do is to go back and use healthy saturated fats. That's what your body wants. Those are safe. They're stable. Uh, that's what we get in butter, coconut oil, palm oil, uh, lard, and beef tallow. Just as an example, McDonald's used to f- do all their fries in lamb tallow. Yes. You couldn't, you couldn't find a healthier or more stable fat to do fries in, and they tasted delicious too. And then they switched in the 1980s to the um, partially hydrogenated vegetable oils. And so, they so needed- Sally, why did they switch? Because they had a wonderfully he- healthy fat in, and you said it was it was lamb fat, right? Right. Well, a group called Center for Science and the Public Industry, which got funding from the soybean industry, mounted a very vocal campaign against McDonald's saying they were using these terrible uh, saturated fats full of cholesterol and they needed to get them out of the fries. And McDonald's was not unhappy about this because the uh, partially hydrogenated vegetable oils are cheaper. Okay. So there, I'm sure there was some kind of conclu- uh, co- collusion in the background. Obviously. It's kind of follow the money and then you know what the answer follow will be. Follow the money. And, um, but we need to go back to using saturated fats. And, and so this is the first hurdle that people who want to eat a healthy diet, the first hurdle they need to get over <clears throat> is the fear of saturated fats. Because if you're afraid of saturated fats, you're going to go down the wrong road. Mm-hmm. You, nothing else is going to work until you get these saturated fats back in your diet. Well, I think one of the questions that come up in our classes and as we do individual consultations is, well, what about canola oil? Yeah. I mean, you know, isn't that supposed to be a healthy fat? So well, tell us the truth. Okay, so canola oil is higher in monounsaturated fatty acids. And by the way, I'm going to be explaining all these things so, mm-hmm. so people can understand them at the conference with, with pictures and everything. And the monounsaturated fatty acids are the same type of thing that's in olive oil, and they're, they're fairly safe also. However, um, there so are... Like, so like, um, like olive oil is a monounsaturated fat. Right. But there's a big difference between olive oil and canola oil. Olive oil, you can get out of the olive with a stone press. You don't need a lot of heat, and it's the natural uh, stable fat. Canola oil comes out of a uh, seed and needs a very high temperature and pressure to get it out. So So what kind of seed is it that canola oil comes from? It's called the rapeseed. It's actually the mustard family. Okay, so it's a a pretty small seed, right? Right, right. and uh, the, there's a lot of um, unsaturated fats in canola oil, and they go rancid. They get really bitter. 
because of this high temperature. And they have to be deodorized, and that kind of ruins them and adds some trans fats to canola oil. Uh, food that's made with canola, canola oil tends to go rancid very quickly because of the high sulfur content. Um, so, you know, I would say that canola oil is not as bad as some people say, but it's not as good as some people say. It's better than corn oil. It's okay. better than soybean oil. Okay. But not much. <laughs> so is there truly a difference between unrefined and refined canola oil? Because you see it, I think you see it on dressing recipes or dressing bottles a lot. Uh, some of the like Annie's dressing or thing, or I'm not sure which brand, but they will put in unrefined canola oil. What you want is cold pressed. Okay. Or expeller express canola oil. And then you know that at then, least. Then it's, it's pretty safe. It's fairly safe, yes. And But it's interesting that they're using canola oil in these dressings, and the reason is that olive oil is too expensive. And uh. canola oil was actually developed and brought on the market uh, because the food industry uh, wanted a monounsaturated oil and couldn't afford olive oil. And there's not enough olive oil in the world, uh, in the entire world production, to satisfy the food industry. So we're really back to changing people's priorities as far as what they put in their mouths right. and what, how they value it. And there's another problem here, and that is that people are getting too much monounsaturated fat. Some is fine, but if <clears throat> the main type of fat that you eat is monounsaturated and you're not getting saturated fats, uh, the monounsaturated can be a problem. And that's really just, again, back to the fear of saturated fats. Exactly. And, you know, I use olive oil for salads, mm-hmm. and that's all. Right. I do, uh, too. And I use I cook in butter and uh, meat fats. It's time for another break, Sally. So okay. you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. I want to point out a favorite section in Sally Fallon's cookbook, Nourishing Traditions. It's called Feeding Babies. And it is Mother's Day weekend, so those of you with small children or grandchildren might want to pay closer attention. This is how it reads. It is unwise to give a baby fruit juices, especially apple juice, which provide only simple carbohydrates and will often spoil an infant's appetite for more nutritious foods. Sorbitol, a sugar alcohol in apple juice, is difficult to digest. Studies have linked failure to thrive in children with diets high in apple juice. High fructose foods are especially dangerous for growing children. Especially for babies, we must return to real foods. And we'll be back in a minute. Everybody, everybody, let's get into it. Get stoned. So welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Cavis, licensed nutritionist. I'm here with our co-host, Barb Bredesen. She's a nutrition educator, and she's the founder of Kombucha Divine. And our special guest is Sally Fallon of Nourishing Traditions, and we're discussing how real foods, you know, the foods that your great-great-grandmother ate, really needs to return to everyone's dinner table so we can shut down this health care crisis. <laughs> so let's face it, you know, fast foods and convenient foods create illness, and real foods, traditional foods, heal us. And, you know, when you say the foods that your grandmother ate, the egg that your grandmother ate is not the same as the egg that you buy in the supermarket. So it's not just eating the foods that have the same name, but growing them the way they used to be grown, which is outdoors, on pasture, uh, because then all of these really important vitamins will be in the fats. 
amazing that they that a small shift like that, moving them from outside to inside, could make such a difference in how we feel and how we think and uh, all of those things. You know, everything we do in our food today, the way we do our agriculture, the confinement agriculture system, the way food is processed, um, made more convenient, everything we do lowers the nutrients in the food. Everything traditional peoples did from their agricultural methods to their preparation methods increased the nutrients in the food. And that's why we have a health crisis today. And nothing else is going to solve it. We, we can do some repairs. We can straighten teeth. We can do operations. But these are Band-Aids. And each generation becomes more and more unhealthy as the quality of the food declines. And there's just no other way to solve this than to each person individually, because the government's not going to do it for us, uh, go back to eating healthy food and preparing healthy food for their families. So now uh, I have a question, Sally. Do you have Michelle Obama as one of your members of the Western A. Price Foundation? No, no. Come on, let's get her on board. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, be- she, she has an agenda. And, and by the way, the uh, D.C. Council uh, last week passed the strictest, most draconian guidelines for school lunches of any state. Uh, these children will have low fat, oh. low salt low-calorie meals, uh, and they're then expected to exercise three times as much on this starvation diet. And uh, they say it's all going to be fine because we're going to get some tomatoes from, you know, local farmers, <laughs> the pizza lettuce from local farmers. Wow. And, um, you know, that's the kind of pinup girl that uh, pulls people into what I call these uh, uh, puritanical or, uh, diets that do not sustain us, that do not nourish us. And I wrote individually to every council member i wrote to the washington post urging them to think again but you know it just goes on deaf ears this is a huge juggernaut and this is why i say to people you know people want to get out and change the school lunches you're not going to change them because they are marching to the usda guidelines drummer what i do urge people to do is make lunches for your children i urge the chapter leaders to teach people how to do this uh, because this, this we can only win on the grassroots level in this fight. Well, let's go back to then talking about what what comes in those foods, those fats especially, that are so important for us to get back to. And I, I have been, you know, since I saw you in 2001, that really was the eye-opener for me to put butter back in my diet and to yeah. make it pastured butter and even to the point of raw milk butter at some point. Right, and also the cod liver oil is a big thing for us. Well, this um, goes back to Weston Price. Weston Price studied these traditional cultures from all over the world. Um, he was a dentist, and so he first of all looked at their teeth, and they had beautiful teeth. They had broad faces, naturally straight teeth, very attractive people, well-built no cavities, and this was a sign that they were healthy overall. Well, the key thing in this diet was very high levels of three vitamins, vitamins A, D, and what we now know as vitamin K. And they are found in high levels in the very foods that we don't eat, the fats of grass-fed animals, organ meats like liver, the egg yolks of grass-fed chickens, a certain type of seafood, fish eggs is extremely rich uh, in these vitamins, Um, and the fish liver oils like cod liver oil. So these are the foods that we're urging people to eat 
because there's no other way to get these critical vitamins in the diet. And what's happened in America as we've uh, gone to the industrial agricultural system, put our animals inside, and, and then avoid the animal fats completely, each generation has more narrow facial structure. And today it's very rare for a child to be born that doesn't need braces unless they've gotten onto our diet. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, it just can't go any further, and you get widespread infertility or children dying before they reach a reproductive age. You know, Sally, I think we should talk a little bit about fertility because, mm-hmm. you know, we teach a class called uh, Nutrition to Support Fertility, and if you would uh, stop by our office, you know it's working because I think everyone <laughs> under the age of 65 is pregnant. <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? I love hearing stories like that. Because, you know, overall our population is shrinking. Yes. We are not replacing ourselves. And, um, and the, you know, a great number of the babies being born will not be able to contribute to um, our civilization because their brains aren't wired properly. Well, and we have this huge low-fat paradigm that all of our young people or most of our young people have bought into. And they're they're absolutely afraid of fats. They feel guilty about eating fats. And, you know, there was a study that came out showing that women who consumed low-fat dairy products had very high rates of infertility. Yes. And if they got on whole-fat diets, uh, they were, many of them were able to get pregnant. And this is the this is the horrible thing here. So the official statement that came out was, well, if you're on eating properly, eating low fat um, foods, and you can't get pregnant, just go on whole fat foods for a while till you get pregnant, and then while you're pregnant, go back to the low fat. Oh foods. my gosh, that just makes no sense whatsoever. Well, and so these kids are born um, just sitting ducks for autism, for behavior problems, for learning disabilities. And it's a, for digestive disorders. Well, they're missing the protection. They're the, missing the, uh, the cholesterol, which they need to form their brains and their guts. They're missing the vitamin A, which they need for both those things, the vitamin D, the vitamin K. And so we get these kids. It's like instead of being born with a mansion to live in, you're being born with a shack to live in. You, so, know, I, you know, Sally, talk just a bit about... How the traditional cultures supported fertility, because I think that's a fascinating story. Yes. Every culture that he looked at had sacred foods that were important for pregnant women, and they, they started eating these foods before conception, both the men and the women. Ate both them. the men and the women. Yes. Yes. And then the women uh, made sure to continue these foods while they were pregnant and breastfeeding, and then they were the first foods for the babies, and the children got these as they were growing. So, Can you give uh, people a few ideas about what some of those foods yes. were? Well, for example, in the South Seas, it was shark liver oil. Mm-hmm. So they caught the sharks, they got the oil out of the liver, and they made sure men and women got this to have healthy babies. In in Alaska, it was fish eggs. Salmon eggs were considered very important for having healthy babies. In Switzerland, it was a special type of butter that came from cows when they first went to pasture in the spring, and this butter was extremely high in these three vitamins, A, D, and K. In the Outer Hebrides, off the coast of Scotland, it was cod's head stuffed with chopped cod's liver. Once again, very high in these three vitamins, A, D, and K. And so uh, these are the types of foods that we uh, need to eat. I'm not saying you have to eat uh, cod's heads, (laughs) (laughs) but you can do this with um, 
butter and pate and all and caviar, you know, all sorts of wonderful foods. And then we strongly urge people just for the protection and to make sure they get enough to take cod liver oil. You know, I think, Sally, when you're out there teaching that class, that class on nutrition for fertility and you're talking to these people that have been living on low fat and running five or ten miles every day yes. to try to get them to even visualize and think that they could add butter. It's just it's so interesting how to to help people think a different way. Right. And you know that the heavy, heavy exercise also depletes these very vitamins. Yes. And the uh, for women the body stops producing estrogen. And I am not a big advocate for heavy exercise for women of childbearing age. And I remember my grandmother telling me this, women who want to have a healthy baby shouldn't be exercising so much. Okay, Sally, we're going to take our last mm-hmm. break here. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. I think it's so important to get our children off to a good start. So I want to read just another small section from that Nourishing Traditions Wise book. A wise supplement for all babies, whether breastfed or bottle fed, is an egg yolk per day. Now, I didn't say a capsule or a tablet, even though it did say supplement, but that just means adding an egg yolk per day because the egg yolk from a grass-fed chicken has so many nutrients that supplement the support, that support the brain function and and everything uh, about the health of the baby. You should start that at four months. Egg yolks supply cholesterol needed for mental development as well as important sulfur-containing amino acids and the fatty acids from pasture-fed hens are essential for the development of the brain. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, I want to just remind everyone that they can see uh, Sally Fallon next. It's going to be May 22nd, and her presentation is from 8 a.m. to noon and it's uh, she's speaking at the Minnesota Chiropractic Association meeting, and the title is going to be "Key to Vibrant Health is a Nourishing Traditions Diet," and the talk is only twenty five dollars. And if you want to sign up now, that's going to be at the Minneapolis Marriott Southwest, and I think that's in Eden Prairie, Minnetonka, that area. And to sign up, you can go to um, MN Cairo. It's M-N-C-H-I-O-R-C-H-I-R-O.com. I I think I got it. So, um, and I hope they have a large room because (laughs) Barb's going to bring her whole troop. (laughs) Oh, you are? Oh, good. Sure. I think everybody at Nutrition, I think we're closing down the offices for the day. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Well, I'll make sure we have plenty of materials there for you. I I do want to tell people, too, that if you don't have a copy of of Sally's Nourishing Traditions and want a recipe like my favorites, uh, spicy meatloaf or sesame chicken wings or perhaps a flourless almond cake, that book is available at every bookstore as well as each of our offices carries copies. So, you know, you can get it close by. Oh, thank you. you. (laughs) By the way, I also have a DVD of my seminar. It's the long version, so it's over five hours. And you can get that on Amazon or go to newtrendspublishing.com. It would be great for a ride across the country as people are listening or back and forth to work. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. This is with uh, pictures, too, but I think you can just listen to it as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to tell people that that was the one book that I brought with me when we went to Europe after (laughs) 2001. We went skiing, and every 
spare minute minute I was reading my book. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you should say that because the book was conceived on a, a, a chairlift at a ski resort. Well, see? <laughs> uh, um, I started, someone had suggested writing a cookbook with me, and I said, oh, no, no, we don't need another cookbook. And I didn't want to write it with her. She's a wonderful friend, but she's, you know, sort of pasta and chocolate lady. <laughs> and then but I just couldn't get the idea out of my head, and it was on a chairlift that I, the whole idea of how to do it uh, and what it would be like came into my head. So, <laughs> But it is so much more than a cookbook. It is a history book, too. It's amazing. It, there's all kinds of stories in it and information that you would never know otherwise. A lot of little um, sound bites in the margins, and, and that's a, a nice way to learn. You know, it's mm-hmm. not too overwhelming. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And another one, if you want to go further in it, and you've already got Nourishing Traditions, is the book by Weston A. Price. Yes, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, also available on Amazon. Yep, excellent book. So, Sally... Okay, we take these cows, we've taken them out of their pasture and put them into horrible conditions where they can't be healthy and we're always battling E. coli and they're not eating what they're supposed to be eating. So how does that impact um, their tissue? What do we lose or what do we gain by putting them back on pasture? Well, we first of all gain these fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, and K, which are so critical for growth and protection against heart disease, cancer, um, tooth decay, depression, <laughs> you know, all the things that plague us. Um, we, um, we, have, we solve this environmental problem with the, you know, concentrating animals uh, too closely. We improve the soil. We improve the income for farmers. I mean, it's just win, 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 uh, except for one group, and that's the industrial food industry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting that we get people in that haven't eaten beef for a while, mm-hmm. and we, I, I really, of course, they say, oh, I can't digest that. Yes. But, yeah. but then I say, well, let's try a little grass-fed beef. And I said, I think you'll be able to digest that. It, the meat is actually different, isn't it, Sally? The meat is different. Uh, one of the reasons people can't digest meat is because they're eating it too lean. And you absolutely need the fat with the meat to digest the meat. And then also if you make a sauce with bone broth and get all of the components of the bone and the joints and tendons, and the meat will be more digestible. So people just don't know how to eat the meat. Well, we are one of the few cultures where we cut the meat off. You know, yes. there's a lot of cultures that eat the fat, or the fat, I'm sorry, yes. the fat off. There's a lot of cultures out there that choose fattier sorts of meat. Well, the because... Native Americans didn't want the lean meat. Uh, when they killed an animal, they ate the brain, the tongue, the marrow, and the liver. Well, which the brain helped them with their memory. Right, and so all the fatty parts, then they uh, tore off the fat from the back and the interior of the animal and saved that, uh, rendered that, and then the lean meat, uh, they they took some of it, but most of it was thrown away. Um, they never ate lean meat. They knew that if they ate lean meat, they'd get sick, and I think this is what people are reacting to. Um, I couldn't eat lean meat. Uh, to me, the very worst thing to eat is a skinless chicken breast. I mean, it's horrible. It's so dry, you, you just can't eat it. <laughs> now, I remember it growing up, my sauce. favorite piece was the wing. because it had so much skin on it and I could chew on the bones and everything and uh, my my father was happy to give me the wings (laughs) so So, Sally one of the other topics I want to talk all about because uh, Barb has uh, you know she makes kombucha and she actually has a little 
business called, oh. and one of her products is called Kombucha Divine. Oh, lovely. And so let's talk a little bit about fermented vegetables. Yes, traditional cultures all um, use this process called lacto-fermentation to ferment uh, a number of things, fruits and vegetables for sure, but they made healthy soft drinks this way. They prepared fish this way and even meat. And lacto-fermentation is a natural way of preserving things that increases lactic acid, and lactic acid is the preservative, sort of like vinegar. And the beauty of lacto-fermentation is that it preserves the food and it also increases the nutrients in the food. So, for example, when you make sauerkraut out of cabbage, you increase the um, vitamin C up to tenfold. Oh, really? That's very interesting, isn't it? And, you know, there's a crying need for healthy beverages in this country. The yes. soft drinks are the witch's brew. And then, <laughs> we, you know, alcohol is, is not good for you, and coffee's not good for you, and <laughs> fruit juice is not good for you. Uh, so what do you drink? And people really want a healthy, bubbly drink. And um, I'm just gotten into the bubbles and why these are so good for you, <laughs> but that's another story. And this is what we get in these healthy soft drinks. So we're talking about old-fashioned root beer and um, ginger beer and these kinds of things, which were brewed, but brewed to make lactic acid and not alcohol. They're sweet and sour and bubbly. And kombucha is a lacto-fermented beverage from Russia that's gotten very popular. It's available in health food stores, available from people like Barb. Uh, It's really a delicious beverage. Well, we really have, we have, uh, I make my kombucha divine in a warehouse space in South Minneapolis that is a private buying club. I don't know if you're familiar with Will Winters. Mm -hmm. And so it's called Traditional Foods of Minnesota. And if people want to know more about that, it's traditionalfoodsmn.com. And we're in South Minneapolis. And we have three different local producers of kombucha there, uh, myself included. And we have probably five or six different fermentation sources, so different kinds of sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, lacto-fermented salsa, all sorts of different options for them to choose, even, I think, lacto-fermented dressings. Um, So that's a good place. And and we also, the umbrella is over this idea of nourishing traditions and the foods that are supported by that. So grass-fed animals, um, pastured chicken eggs, lard from wonderful sources. Duck eggs, duck eggs, and goose eggs, and <laughs> you know the. You ma- I mentioned something I forgot to mention. These lacto-fermented foods. The, the real purpose of them is to give you two things. One is good bacteria. Yes. And we now know that you need a lot of good bacteria in your digestive tract to even digest your food. And number two is lots of enzymes, which help you digest your food. So these lacto-fermented foods are digestive aids. So, Sally, thank you. We appreciate you being on our show today. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you on the 22nd. Yes. Thank you again.